Scott Fitzalbert here, and we're recording up forward in the desert. And you must forgive me if I'm shouting, because I'm shouting against the voices of British guns. We're up here with some of the batteries, just behind some of the very, very heavy guns, and there's a terrific barrage going on. Standing here in the moonlight, it's the most amazing panorama. For miles from north to south in a great semicircle. Vor dem großen Tor steht eine Laterne und steht sie noch davor. Da wollen wir uns wiedersehen. Bei der Laterne wollen wir stehen. Wie einst Lily Marlene. Wie einst Lily Marlene. The Desert Fox Field Marshal Erwin Rommel is one of the few German generals of World War II who is still widely remembered today. He was a respected professional soldier of consummate military tactical skill who fought in the invasion of France, the war in the African desert and the defence of Normandy. He was Hitler's star general and his story begins in the 1930s when, as a young German officer, he published a highly successful book on the theory and practice of warfare. It was called Infantry Attacks. Deine Schritte kennt sie, deinen schönen Gang. Alle Abend brennt sie, doch mich vergaß sie lang. Rommel's son, Manfred, was born in 1928 and at the publication of Infantry Attacks, he was already a boy of nine. The year was 1937. Mit dir, Lili my father's grandfather was a schoolmaster, my father's father was a schoolmaster, and my father was also a teacher of tactics. And so his impact was to describe war as it really is and what a soldier, an officer, and, and leader of a battalion or company can do or cannot do. And it brought him to the attention of Hitler. Yes, yes. Hitler read this book and was impressed by it, and he, so he came to talk to my father for the first time. Like many of his contemporaries, Rommel viewed Hitler as a savior of Germany. Hitler in turn made Rommel commander of security at the Nuremberg rally and then in 1939 appointed him as commander of the Führer's headquarters. Wenn die älteren Jahrgänge noch wanken werden könnten, die Jugend ist uns verschrieben und da fallen mit Leib und By the outbreak of World War II, Rommel and Hitler were close military allies. Several times Hitler took my father with him to, uh, to visit troops in Poland. He did never do this again after it, not in France and not in Russia. And uh, so my father talked with him, and when he asked something on military matters, my father gave him an answer. And my father was so surprised that the Polish war ended up so quickly. And Hitler was very impressed with your father. Hitler was also very impressed. Uh, Hitler uh, always respected my father. On the 9th of May, 1940, the German invasion of France began. 
Erwin Rommel was commander of the 7th Panzer Division and his new tactic was based on speed, surprise and mobility. It was otherwise known as Blitzkrieg. My father knew that especially fighting against the British it was not possible to make a plan and rely that the British uh, would do what the German plan uh, uh, hoped that they would do. That the most important thing in leadership is flexibility, to uh, uh, accept new situations and to react very quickly. Speed and mobility, critical. Speed and mobility and always uh, watch if not a mistake had been made, and then to go away from the mistake and do the, do the better thing. The tanks of the German 7th Panzer Division swept through France, and their commander, Erwin Rommel, brought a new style of leadership to the campaign. He led from the front, from the top of his mechanised columns, exposed to enemy fire. My father believed that in mobile battle, you have the best idea what is really going on when you are uh, on the battlefield yourself and not depending from messages from your commanders. And then my father also develop, uh, developed a new system of ciphering and deciphering of messages, a very simplified one, which uh, gave the Germans a great advantage because the British translated the text into the uh, ciphers and then deciphered the text again. This did cost a lot of time, and my father only uh, he he uh, could, uh, he could do it much faster. For days and nights, ships of all kinds have plied to and fro across the Channel under the fierce onslaught of the enemy's bombers, utterly regardless of the perils, to bring out as many as possible of the trapped BEF. Dunkirk, 1940, and by the 4th of June, the battle was effectively won. The Allies evacuated their men and brought their forces home. Soon after dawn this morning, I watched two warships steaming in, one listing heavily to port under the enormous load of men she carried on her decks. On the 22nd of June, the French campaign of Rommel's 7th Panzer came to an end. Over 90,000 prisoners had been captured and his Panzer Division had been the spearhead of the German advance. The news from France is very bad and I grieve for the gallant French people who have fallen into this terrible misfortune. To the Nazi government, Rommel's achievements were the stuff of legend. He was decorated with the Knight's Cross and, in February 1941, was assigned to the prestigious command of the North African campaign. Here, Rommel's army would support the army of Mussolini against the Allies in a battlefield campaign of armoured and motorised chess, run in ideal war conditions. Yes, especially, especially in the desert where you had no rivers and no cities and no villages and the... Uh, Arabs had a special feeling what was going on and went away from the battlefield in general in good time. And uh, so this was a war between professional generals. It was really the perfect conditions for this sort of warfare. Yes, of course. Uh, yes, of course. And as the Germans respected the British and the British respected the Germans, 
if war can be fair, it was fair in Africa from both sides. Rommel arrived in Africa on the 12th of February 1941, and from the beginning, the Desert Fox pressed his armies forward across Libya. City after city fell to his troops, the British were pushed back into Egypt, and the only problem he encountered was a shortage of supplies from mainland Europe. My father always blamed the Italians, to, especially the Italian Navy, to, uh, to, uh, to commit treason. But he was mistaken. The real uh, reason for the um, uh, for, for uh, the the British uh, knowing very well the German supply and Italian supply was uh, the British capability to read the code to break the code uh, the, the decipher the German messages. So they knew when the ships were about to arrive. Yeah. Yes, and my father said, this cannot happen. It's not possible. And he always believed in treason. Uh, so when my father came up to heaven, what I hope, he has to apologize to his Italians. <laughs> the battle for the city of Tobruk was the high point of Rommel's African campaign throughout 1941 and 1942. The city was a symbol of the Allied presence in North Africa and its fall in June 1942, after a year-long siege, was Rommel's supreme achievement. But the long campaign was now taking its toll and the heat, the shortage of food and the gruelling battles were affecting Rommel and his troops. For instance, when the Germans took Tobruk in 42 and arrived at Alamein, end of June, beginning of July, the German divisions had only 1,200 people, used to have 15,000. 1,200 people, the others were ill and did not... Uh, uh, and remained back in the backward areas. Of course, these uh, hot days were very exhausting, and my father himself became uh, got a great problem with blood circulation. He fell down, and then he awoke, and then he said, that's nothing, but the others were very confused. And, and this happened uh, four, five, six times a day. And then a professor was sent to polish my father up to Africa. This professor was sent to Africa, Professor Hostel, and uh, he tried to prepare my father for the Battle of Alam el-Halfa. But uh, in the Battle of, of uh, Alam el-Halfa, when uh, Montgomery took over command, uh, the situation was so disastrous for the Germans that my father got excited and this was good for his blood circulation. He jumped out of his truck and went in his car and then he felt healthy again. I want to impress on everyone that the bad times are over. They are finished. Our mandate from the Prime Minister is to destroy the Axis forces in North Africa. Lieutenant General Bernard Montgomery, the commander of the British Eighth Army in Africa. In his battlefield headquarters, Montgomery kept a portrait of Rommel pinned to the wall, alongside a quotation from Shakespeare's Henry V, O God of battles, steal my soldiers' hearts. Montgomery was obsessed with Rommel. The great point to remember is that we are going to finish with this chap Rommel once and for all. It'll be quite easy, there's no doubt about it. He is definitely a nuisance. 
Therefore, we will hit him a crack and finish with him. By mid-1942, Montgomery's army had checked Rommel's advance and had turned to face the Germans. Rommel was now far from his supply source in Tripoli, while the British had been pushed back closer to their supply source in Egypt. The advantage was swinging to the Allies. The German forces were exhausted, and already Rommel could see that the North African war would be lost. My father went to Hitler, I think in November '42, and on his own responsibility and uh, asked Hitler to withdraw the African army from Africa and bring it to Italy. And, uh, and Hitler was very angry and upset. He was very nervous, and it came to a big quarrel between Hitler and my father. At first, my father threw, uh, my Hitler threw my father out of the room and said, leave the room. And when my father went away, he ran after my, after my father and said, come back, come back, we all have bad nerves. And... Uh, and uh, and uh, Hitler, Hitler didn't want to believe what was fact. And then he asked my father uh, previously, he had asked my father if, if he had enough, ri- how many rifles he had. And my, fa- my father answered, I didn't count them. And then my fa- uh, Hitler said, you, uh, the, you are a fine general who doesn't know how many rifles he, uh, you have. Then my father said, the best thing is you come down to Africa and fight Montgomery if you know everything better. That is the early hours of the morning, and now on this desert, with the sand clouds whirling up behind each vehicle, British tanks in large numbers are moving into battle. The Battle of El Alamein pitted Rommel against Montgomery in one massive historic clash between the Axis and the Allied armies. It was to be the watershed in Rommel's North African campaign. But ironically, when it began, Rommel was back in Germany with his family, recovering from health problems. Yes, I remember well him coming home. He was moving rather slowly, was very tired, and... uh, I had the feeling that he was a little bit inflated. He had a lot of medical treatment, but he recovered fast. Did yeah. he express doubts at the time about the war in Africa? Yes, my father said if he, uh, my father always believed that this was a turning point because the, the British and American side got stronger and stronger. And the German front line in Russia was expanded and very could not be defended. And uh, my father was rather pessimistic. And then I remember that uh, after uh, the Battle of Alamein had begun, Hitler called up my father in the hospital where he had been and asked him if he cannot go back to Africa, return to Africa, as my father's successor, the General Stumme, was killed. And then my father at once went to the airport, and when they went to Alamein via Creech, Creech, yes, I was, uh, went with him to the airport, and my father received the first uh, information about the uh, gasoline situation and ammunition and was really upset. Montgomery's preparations for El Alamein were thorough, and as you can hear from this archive recording, the violence of the artillery barrage was devastating. Ah! 
As the battle raged, sections of the Italian infantry deserted their posts and the German defences cracked under Allied pressure. The Italians had a lot of tanks, but the Germans had rather few tanks in Alamein. And uh, Field Marshal Montgomery was operating very methodically. And uh, um, after some days, there was uh, some feeling of resignation on the British side, as I have learned afterward. But Montgomery said, no, we will continue. And he was successful. And Montgomery refused to play by the rules which your father wished to play by. Yes, but my father couldn't play by his old rules uh, either, neither, because the Germans had not enough gasoline, and uh, their armor was very weak. My father could not uh, uh, risk a mobile battle. Uh, he had to retreat. Uh, he, he knew that was end, and of course, when the uh, before the British penetrated the German-Italian front line, Hitler gave my father the order to die or to, uh, to, uh, to lead his army to victory or to death. And then at first my father tried to influence Hitler to withdraw this uh, idiotic order. But then he couldn't do it in good time and then my father retreated on his own responsibility. This is the BBC Home and Forces program. This is Bruce Belfridge. Here's some excellent news which has come during the past hour in the form of a communique from GHQ Cairo. It says, the Axis forces in the Western Desert, after 12 days and nights of ceaseless attacks by our land and air forces, are now in full retreat. Following this defeat, Rommel led his army in retreat as British armoured units followed hard on their heels. The battered Africa Corps were pushed back out of Egypt, through Libya, Tobruk was lost, Tripoli abandoned, and by 1943 the desert war was over. Yesterday afternoon at about 4.30, the war in North Africa came to an end. Early on Tuesday morning, the Axis armies were cut clean in half by the British drive across the neck of the Cape Bon Peninsula. On the 9th of March 1943, Rommel left Africa never to return, and for the rest of his wartime career, he was convinced that German victory could not be achieved. In 1943, my father uh, tried to influence Hitler to acknowledge that Germany could not win the war and to, to uh, fight for new goals. At that stage, of course, Hitler was so up to his teeth in it that it was probably impossible for him to negotiate a settlement with anybody. And yes, well, and Hitler said, with me, nobody will make peace, and he was right, because uh, from uh, he, 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 he knew very well that on his orders all Jewish people were killed and uh, he had bloody hands. But this was a problem. My father always had a sm uh, decreasing hope that Hitler might give in when the war was hopeless and when it was necessary for Germany for him to disappear. After his return from Africa, Hitler appointed Rommel first to the defence of Italy and then to Normandy to oversee the German preparations for the expected invasion from Britain. It was a period of great uncertainty, a time when Hitler's enemies were plotting his overthrow and conspiring to replace him with a new head of government named Erwin Rommel. My father knew that there are, that, that there are circles of people who discuss 
what will come after Hitler, who make lists of future ministers and governments, and uh, and that also some people are talking to kill Hitler. Was he one of the conspirators himself? I I, I don't want to say so, but my father heard this from several people in the uh, at the end of '43. But would it be fair to say, in retrospect, that your father would have been at least sympathetic towards the conspirators against y- Hitler? Yes, of course. My father had also a close relationship to the military commander in France. He was a friend of him, General von, von Stülpnagel. And he was a member of the conspiracy. And also my father's chief of staff knew much about Berlin. But I think that my father didn't believe that anything will be done in Berlin because uh, he, uh, he, he, maybe he believed that this is theory. And uh, I, my father believed that it, it will be his responsibility to end the war in France. Rommel was confident that his defences would make life difficult for the Allied forces trying to land in Western Europe, but he was less sure of the long-term future. It was now clear to him that Hitler had a death wish for himself and for Germany. So Rommel decided that, if defeat looked certain, he would negotiate surrender of his troops with the Allied command. The problem was also that my father had, in France, uh, 10 SS divisions. And my father decided in July, uh, fifteenth, uh, to talk to the to the SS generals and ask them. Uh, and he asked them, uh, "Do you think it to be reasonable if we fight until the, here in France until the Russians are in Berlin?" And what was the response? They said no. And then my father asked them, "What will you do when I end the battle on my own responsibility?" Do you go with me or do you go not, uh, don't you do that? And they, uh, they both told him that they will go with him because, because also the SS was demoralized. Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force, have just issued communique number one, and in a few seconds I will read it to you. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. On June the 6th, 1944, the waiting was over. It was D-Day, and British and American troops scrambled ashore on the Normandy coast. This is the day and this is the hour. The sky is lightening, lightening over the coast of Europe as we go in. The sky is lighter and the sea is brighter, but along the shore there's a dense smoke screen as the battleship and the warships, the smaller warships, sweep along there, firing all the time against the shore and some of them laying a smoke screen for us. As the first Allied troops came ashore, Rommel was not in Normandy. He was on his way to Hitler and had stopped off at his family home for his wife's birthday. I was also present. I was in the the, the aircraft and I had leave to see my father or my mother. And, um, uh, And then I remember in the morning, my father's chief of staff called him up and told him that uh, there is a rumor that the landing occurred. He was not absolutely certain. It is maybe seven o'clock, or and then uh, my father said, "I want 
to ha have clear information. And if the landing occur uh, had happened, I will go away. I will I will leave my home straight away for France. And after an hour, my father's chief of staff called him up again, and my uh, my father went away to France. But of course, in the night when the landing took place, my father was not present in his headquarters. British, Canadian and American troops who landed on the coast of France, north of the lovely town of Caen, in broad daylight this morning, are already several miles inland, on a front sufficiently broad to be more than a bridgehead. Rommel returned to Normandy to find that his worst fears had become reality. The Allies had secured a beachhead, allowing them to build up supplies and reinforcements. His minefields and coastal defences had failed to stop the Allied advance. There are fenced off areas on each side of you, marked here and there with signboards, German signboards, bearing a skull and crossbones, and the word Minen in red. Minen, mines. Actually, many of those so-called mined areas have been found to be quite innocuous. It's said that the local commander simply stuck up these signs to impress Rommel when he came on a visit of inspection just before we landed. Then, on the 17th of July, Field Marshal Rommel embarked on a hazardous car journey to the army front line. The area was under constant attack from marauding enemy planes, and suddenly, two British aircraft closed in for the kill. The aircraft attacked my father's car. The driver of my father uh, lost his arm, lost control of the, of, 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 of the car. My father had some splinters in the face, fell out of the car and had a, a skull fracture, a very really heavy skull fracture. And my father went alone. He had no uh, uh, um, uh, other vehicles to accompany him, to go with him. He went alone with his car. His, uh, one of his staff officers was also badly wounded. And then the French found out that my father is still living. French uh, uh, owner of a pharmacy. And they put some salt under the nose of my father and they found out that he is still living and uh, took care of him. And my uh, father's driver also died because it was not able to, uh, impossible to stop the blood uh, he lost. And um, and this was my father's end as a, on the battlefield, yeah. Ronald made a quick recovery in hospital and after a number of operations was deemed sufficiently well to return to his home for recuperation. He arrived at Ulm in August and his son Manfred, who was now 16 and with an anti-aircraft battery, also returned to the family home. After some days, I was ordered from, uh, I was in the, in the aircraft and I was ordered to go to my father and to read to him papers because my father asked to send his son. He could not read himself uh, uh, because he had too much problems and had a terrible headache when he tried to read. And so I came home and saw him. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, on the 20th of July 1944, three days after Rommel's car crash, an assassination attempt on Hitler failed. He escaped, unharmed, from the blast of a bomb designed to eliminate the Fuhrer. Rommel was incapacitated at the time of the blast, but one of the conspirators, when delirious, mentioned Rommel's name to the Gestapo. From the very beginning, the Gestapo was before our house. My father's chief of staff was put in prison by the Gestapo, and uh, the others were trialed, sentenced to death. And so my father was uh, uh, knew that uh, fate is also approaching to him, and he said, "Only I'm interested how Hitler will do it, because I'm ab absolutely certain that he will not present me to a court." It would be unwise to do so, something like that. In the early days of October 1944, a message came from Berlin to Ulm, ordering Rommel to attend for questioning. Rommel suspected the worst and, fearing a trap, refused to respond to the order. My father said, no, I, I, uh, this would be very easy for them. I won't go to Berlin. And then they announced that they are visiting him, two generals of the army. And uh, this occurred on the October 14th, and they went uh, to our home, and uh, and they asked if they can speak to my father alone. And then uh, they, uh, after, I don't know, half an hour, three quarters of an hour, my father came up and said, yes, they uh, have brought me the order of Hitler to kill myself. Hitler gives me the chance because I, of my merits in the African campaign. And they told me that I have been a member of the upheaval against the plot, um, upheaval against Hitler. And they quoted witnesses. And uh, they promised me if, they, if I go with them and take the poison, take poison, the usual measures against uh, the family and against my staff will not be taken. And I decided to go with them, and they will call you up in, uh, I think, 20 minutes or, or minutes or 30 minutes, and tell you that I have died from a brain stroke, stroke, brain stroke, stroke. and uh, and say uh, I will have a state funeral, and they told, uh, spoke about Berlin, but I told them you can all do it very well, also here in Ulm. And then my father said, the 10 minutes are over, I have to leave, yes. And they went away and he was killed. It was many years later when Manfred Rommel learned how his father had died. His last sight was of his father departing in the military staff car with the two generals from Berlin. And one of those generals later filled in the details. They brought him to a place close to his house, close to a forest, and then they, uh, the, uh, uh, the Lieutenant General Burgdorf remained with him and ordered the other to go away and to return after some minutes, and after some minutes they found my father dying in the motor car. Field Marshal Erwin Rommel was buried on October the 18th, 1944. He received a full state funeral 
and photographs show the ceremonial cortege, the red and black swastikas, the golden eagles, the military guards of honour. It was a masterpiece of political cynicism. My mother uh, even received a telegram from Hitler, from Goering, from Himmler, and uh, Hitler gave, uh, announced an order of the day uh, that my father uh, died from an accident in France. An accident, they called it an accident in France. How did you view this at the time? You were old enough to have very strong opinions. I was not very pleased, yes, of course. Yes, but uh, this opened my eyes towards, uh, towards National Socialism. I was always I was in the Hitler Youth, and I was blindfolded, and, and I had also much discussions and um, disputes, even disputes with my father. And then I began to understand this, this, really, this my idea of Hitler was completely wrong. The death of Rommel in 1944 robbed the Germans of one of their most adventurous and impressive commanders. But it also robbed Manfred Rommel of his father and friend. Manfred was then aged 16, he was close to his father, and the last person that Rommel confided in before departing on that fateful journey to his death. My father was a rather fair person for his profession and for his time. And I, uh, in the last days uh, he, or weeks, he was almost a friend. I spoke a lot of with him and he was, he, because he couldn't sleep, suffering from headache, he used to, uh, to speak with me in the night. And what did you talk about? Uh, about his experience, about his... Uh, what he uh, saw in the war, and and and, uh, and what was going on, uh, I, I, I know that he saw uh, that his life w was ending up. Do you remember him as a good family man? Yes, he was. My father was a very faithful husband and also father, and I could uh, I, I could discuss with him many problems, also. Uh, I couldn't also be in disagreement with him. And despite all the battles and all the wars, he devoted a lot of time to you and to your mother? Not so much, but when he came, he, uh, especially when he was in Africa, he came maybe three times a year, and he came to our home and he went hunting. On the next morning he went hunting and he took me with him and wrote me in... Uh, paper for the school that I am ill and can not come to school. <laughs> so you were very close? Yes, I was very close to him. The Desert Fox was a genuine hero. He was revered not just for his personal bravery in battle, but also for his ability to outfight a succession of enemy generals, many of whom enjoyed greater numerical and technological strength. And, throughout a bitter war, he commanded respect, not just in Germany, but also among the British, French, American and Soviet troops. 
Yes, my father was also was respected when I was uh, became prisoner of the French, and when the French found out that I am the was the son of my father, I was treated very well and brought to the French commander in chief, the uh, Latre de Tassigny. He told me, "I will send you home as soon as possible, as soon I can politically afford this. But I cannot do it now, but I will." Uh, protect you, and, and indeed, uh, really, uh, I was sent home by the French in September '45, and I, um, I was in the officers' prisoner camp. In spite, I was only a corporal. It is quite remarkable, in that sense, just how much respected he was by all the Allies and all the other armies. Yeah, by by professional soldiers. Yes, yeah. Even in Russia, when I was visiting Moscow as a mayor and president of the German League of the Cities. In, in Moscow, they, um, the, the mayor of Moscow, Promislov, gave a speech, and he also mentioned my father and said, your father was a great general, but the best of him was that he had never fought in Russia. Erwin Rommel was first and foremost a fighting soldier, winner of the Iron Cross, the Blue Max and the Knight's Cross, a quick-thinking, swift-moving commander who perfected the techniques of blitzkrieg and of mobile warfare. And perhaps it was this military instinct that enabled Rommel to be among the first to sense when the battle was lost. I cannot give a judgment on his military qualities. But the greatest achievement of my father was that he came to know in '44 that it was hopeless and that, was, that it was against the German interests to continue the fight against the British, Americans and French. He was one of the first of the generals to recognize this. Yes, and he saw also the consequences when he found out what he, when he found out he had a double strategy. He tried to convince Hitler, and as he found out that he could not convince him, he was prepared to act on his own responsibility. Perhaps like all legends, the story of Rommel contains a measure of truth and a measure of myth. In photographs, he appears invincible, directing battles from tanks with his weather-beaten face, his calculating eyes and his firm jaw. The battlefield was his arena, and it was a battlefield that he sought to control and shape. Rommel's achievements in that battlefield brought success to Hitler, a success that he bitterly regretted and that Germany would never forget. The Germans have not good memories on the war and therefore the young generation in Germany, they will not know what to say about my father. The old one, he is respected among the old ones, but of course also criticized as many generals because they say today many people say how you could follow Hitler's order how uh, uh, did you not see in 1933 that he was a criminal? Did you not see it in 38? Did you not see it in 41? But it's really difficult to leave a running railway. 
And your father was caught up in the process. Yes, at least my father gave his life for his opinion. Aus dem tiefen Raume, aus der der Grund, hebt sich wie im Traume dein verliebter Mund. This is the BBC Home and Forces Programme. This is Bruce Belfridge. Here's some excellent news which has come during the past hour in the form of a communique from GHQ Cargo. It says, the Axis forces in the Western Desert, after 12 days and nights of ceaseless attacks by our land and air forces, are now in full retreat. Their disordered columns are being relentlessly attacked by our land forces and by the Allied air forces by day and night. Mit ihr, Lili, 